This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 253, so he says that although he explains how the godly soul is a reflection of godliness, therefore, for us, godliness resonates. It's not just we're a parable that can teach us, illuminate, help us understand the moral of the story. In the parable, there's a disconnect. Everything in this world is a parable, because everything in this world ultimately comes from the divine, but it's created in a way where it's disconnected. Like the lion is a reflection of, uh, or a parable for the lions, the heavenly lions, the angels. No one in his right mind is going to look at a lion <laughs> and confuse it for an angel. A lion is a wild beast, a dangerous wild beast. So there's no connection between the lion and the angel. But there's come characteristic traits of the lion, which ultimately, in its ultimate source, come from the characteristic traits of the heavenly lion. So it's a parable. Everything in this world is a parable. points to something, teaches us something, helps us understand something from above, because that's where everything, the source of everything, is really... Above, the spiritual, the godly, that's the reality. The physical, the material is just the manifestation. But that's true of everything in this world. But with the soul, the godly soul, it's a much tighter connection, much more intimate connection. Because our soul is godly. So it's not like we are a parable that helps us understand ten svirot from our own ten faculties. We're understanding something that's foreign or different from us. We are. Our substance are the ten sphere. Our substance is godliness, which permeates the ten sphere. So therefore, when we understand, through understanding our own godly soul, we're able to intimately know godliness. But now he's making a little disclaimer. We're going to start this week. He says, yes, while it's true, that we are godly and our soul is godly, reflection of godliness, our substance is godly, and therefore we feel that connection, we have a connection, and therefore we make an intimate connection with godliness. But nevertheless, there's no comparison between the sephira. When we talk about the sephira, we should not, in a, for a moment, delude ourselves that we have any understanding of the sphera, the God's emanation. Because as much as we experience it in our own personal experience, as close as we get, there's no comparison between the way we experience this godly ability within our soul 
versus the way it is in the emanation, the world of emanation. It's, it's almost like finite in comparison to the infinite. You can't even compare. There's no comparison. He's going to give a very powerful analogy that helps us understand the distance between the manifestation of godliness in our soul and the way godliness is manifested above in the world of emanation even though the godly soul is a reflection of God. Yeah, the Rebbe now goes on to make it perfectly clear that the spirit are, however, infinitely higher than the corresponding faculties within the soul. Indeed, even Abraham's attribute of chesed could in no way compare to the chesed of the spirit, notwithstanding the fact that Abraham was considered a chariot Hashem, i.e. a self-effacing vehicle with no direction or desire other than that of his rider. But it is necessary to state first what I heard from my master of the affair, the Magnus Rich. Peace be to him on the verse, and I am dust and ashes. Avram, that's Avram's statement. Avram proclaims, I am dust and ashes. What does he mean? Father Avram, peace be to him, said this of the illumination from his soul radiated in his body from the light of the Supreme Testament. And that is his attribute, the attribute of Ahava, magnanimous love, that derived from the parent sphere called Chesed of For he loved an alternative reading with which he loved. The Holy One, blessed be he, with a love so great and sublime that he became a chariot unto the Holy One, blessed be he. Abram's degree of nullification to Hashem was that of a vehicle to its driver, having no independent will whatever. This is even greater than the subservience of a slave to his master, but the slave retains a will of his own. So it says in Sefer Haboyer, one of the early Kabbalistic works by one of the Tanoyim, Rabbi Nechunya Akana, writes that the attribute of chesed atzilus, of kindness, the attribute, one of the ten svirot, the divine attribute of kindness, said that since Avram came into this world, I am no longer necessary because Avram is the perfect substitute for me. I have become superfluous. Avram's kindness and his magnanimous love for everyone and his almost divine, radiant love to Hashem and his divine, radiant love to all human beings. He readily took in. Avram ran after the three nomads, Bedouins, nomads, who worshipped the dust of their feet. And Avram was in pain and yet Avram ran and took care of them and Avram's love and kindness for every human being was like the sun. It was like incredible, a type of love, a type of kindness, a type of goodness that the world has never seen before. Avram gave of himself, his time, his precious time, his wealth, his wealth of knowledge. He took care of them, he taught them, he illuminated them, educated them, fed them clothed them. So Avram was like the epitome of kindness. He was a reflection of a divine kindness. This wasn't the human kindness. This was a godly kindness. He became a chariot to the divine attribute of chesed. Completely egoless. Kindness that's based on ego cannot, cannot express such kindness. Ego is limited. 
it's because his kindness was completely egoless. And that's also the simple meaning. I'm dust and ashes because Avram was humble. Was felt was completely humble. So therefore, you know, he didn't feel that he deserved that he was better, and he deserved all these riches—spiritual riches, mental riches, physical riches—and he was better off, and elite and superior. Avram was in a league on his own, and yet Avram was completely accessible, available to the simplest person. Made himself available, shared everything that he had gave generously. So this was a, a divine type of love. Only someone who's completely egoless, who's a chariot, just like the chariot is completely egoless. The chariot is just a tool in the hands of the rider. So Avram was completely egoless before Hashem. Only he was able to become so godly, like a channel, to channel the divine kindness and to give this was unhuman. This was not human. This wasn't a human type of love. This was a godly type of love because he was able to channel the godly type of love because he was a complete chariot, he was a complete eagle. So therefore, you would think... Now one might possibly assume that the type of chesed and love as it exists above in the supernal spirit is of a similar nature to the attribute of abundant love exemplified by our father Abram. Peace be to him. So you would think that, listen... Of course, as you're going to say, you can't compare. No one is going to, in the right mind, is going to compare Hashem, who's infinite. Because no matter how great a person is, the body is limited. So, it's limited. Whatever we do in this world is limited. Even if you stretch, and even if you, what we consider infinite and unlimited, it's relative to us, it's infinite or unlimited. But the relative to Hashem Himself, Everything that we do, everything is limited. So even Avram's kindness, as great as it was, it's limited. As the Maggid once said, if the Baal knew, how the Baal was the Avram Avinu of Hasidus, the pioneer, the founder of Hasidus, and his love every Jew, and his, he epitomized the chesed, the love, the kindness. If Baal knew the impact that his love for every single Jew had, it would have been, he would have done it a thousand times greater. Now that he's, in the, after 120 years, you know, he sees how it's much, much, much more than he ever imagined. Because no matter how great you are, no matter how egoless you are, no matter how godly you are, you can do it for godliness, you're transparent, you're your channel for godliness, you're limited, the body is limited. Nevertheless, it's a reflection of the infant that a human being could be so kind, could be so magnanimous, could be so abundant and so giving and so beyond any limit calculation. Avram even risked, argued with Hashem, defended, defending the people of Saddam. This was, this was a, a, it's not a normal type of kindness. It's not an egotistical, motivated type of kindness because it makes me feel good, because I like it, because it's natural, it's instinctive. This is beyond nature, beyond instinct, beyond calculation. It's beyond anything that's reasonable and normal and sane and rational. This is godly. You look at Avram, you see a saint. This is a saintly. This is what we call saintly, a saintly person. It's not normal. It's heroic. It's not a normal human being. won't act this way. I don't care how kind you are by nature. It's just completely off the chart. So when you see something like that, 
it's a reflection of the infinite. So of course we understand no one's going to call, even Avram, even the greatest, it's, it's limited, it's finite. In comparison to Hashem Himself, in comparison to the divine attribute of kindness, the way it's in the world of emanation, which is infinite, there everything is infinite. God's kindness is infinite, His compassion is infinite, His brilliance and wisdom is infinite. So of course He can compare, but nevertheless, this is a direct reflection of something infinite. When you see a human being, a finite human being, behaving in such a way and acting in such a way, this can only come from a godly place. It's a manifestation of something that's beyond this world. It's a manifestation of something godly, of something otherworldly, for a human being to act this way. It's not human, it's not normal. But at least, it is a reflection of something godly, it is a reflection of something infinite. That's that's the mistake that we would make. And that's what Avram is coming to teach us, that it's wrong. That, this, that it, we're looking at it completely, completely erroneously. But now he's continuing into the mistake, the way we may think, and may possible to assume, continue. It's also passing it infinitely, for it is known of the supernal Mido attributes that though their mode of emanation is finite, they themselves are essentially without end or limit. Because the infinite ain't of light actually radiates and is vested within them. And he and his Mido, i.e. the Kalim of the Sphirot, are one i.e. just as he is infinite, so too are they. The Svirot, the ten emanations, even the vessels of the Svirot, are one with Hashem, just like our body is one with the soul, inseparable from the soul, become completely unified with the soul, so much so that every cell, all a hundred trillion cells, are alive. It's not the body is a machine. The body becomes alive, comes alive. If you cut your finger, you're, you're hurting. It's not a piece of clay. It's not a machine. It's alive. So too, the ten Svirot become inseparable and are one with Hashem. So just like Hashem is infinite, the ten Svirot are also infinite. So God's kindness is infinite. As regards the soul of man, however, which is vested in corporeality in man's body, its attributes are finite and limited. Thus, to revert to the above example, it is abundantly clear that this primal Svirot of Chesed is infinitely loftier and more wondrous than its worldly counterpart the attribute of chesed and love in Avram's soul, which was vested within his body. So, no one is going to confuse, no one is going to think for a moment as great and as lofty and as holy, as special as Avram is, no one is going to confuse it with the attribute, the divine attribute of kindness, which is, which is infinite. And no human being could be infinite, no matter how great you are. But nevertheless... Nevertheless, one might possibly assume that its attributes are the same type as the Supernal. Exactly. It's a reflection of that kindness. It's a reflection because it, it, it is a reflection of something infinite, that a human being who is limited with a human body could, could be so saintly and could be so godly and so loving and so magnanimous. and so it, it could only be coming from a godly place. It's not human. It's not normal. It's not sane. It's not, sane, it's not rational. It's completely otherworldly. So it's, he's a conduit, a reflection of something godly. Of course, we're not going to compare. But it's like, it's like when, you see, when you see light in a great distance. So it could be it's a little glimmer of light. But you know, for you to be able to see this glimmer of light, you know that the origin has to be so powerful for it to be able to reach so far. When we see the light of the stars is able to reach us, we know how powerful that light is. That light years, it's so, it's so that it's able to reach. 
so far. So when you see, when you see the barrel overflowing, it could be it's just a drop. But the fact that the barrel is overflowing, you know that this is a huge barrel. Just from that little drop, but the fact that it's flowing over, it means it's such an abundance that you know how great the source is. So it, it gives us a reflection. We can reflect on and see the source from Avram. Of course we know this is just a drop. Avram's kindness is just like a little light comparison to its source. It's like a little drop, it's flowing over. But the fact that it could flow over tells us where it's coming from. It directly points, directly points to its source, that the source is infinite, infinite kindness, godly kindness. And the fact is, it's reflected and manifested. This infinite, divine, godly kindness in the world of emanation manifests in Avram Avinu. The fact that a human being could be so saintly and so godly and so loving and so giving, he, he points to the idea that there is a godly kindness which is infinite. And he is manifesting that in a physical way. But it's a manifestation of something that's really infinite. So, of course, we're not comparing the kindness of Avram. It's like the drop. It's like that little light, that dim light, all the way at the end. But the fact that, that the light has reached so far tells you how powerful the source is. So, of course, you can't compare the source to that little light or the, the barrel full of water to that little drop. But it's, it's enough to tell me that it's a reflection. It's a me'ain. It's a reflection of where it's coming from. It gives us a, a glimpse of what infinite divine love is. That's what I would think. So comes along Avram Avinu and wants to disabuse us of any delusions and illusions. And he says, no, you have it all wrong. It's not even possible. It's not even possible to gain a, gain a reflection. You can't even, ref- I'm not even a reflection of that infinite divine love. All I am is dust and ashes in comparison to the source. What does that mean? He's going to explain. He's not just using words. He's explaining very profoundly what Avraham Avinu is telling us. Until now, the Alter Rebbe has explained that the supernal spirit of Hesed is infinitely higher than Avraham's attribute of love in this world. Now, in order to negate a comparison from any perspective whatever, he goes on to state that Abraham's attribute of love is infinitely lower than the supernal spirit of Hesed. This is why he said, I am dust and ashes. That is, like ashes, which are the essence and substance of the burned wood, for the wood was previously composed of the four basic elements, fire, air, water, earth, of which all matter is compounded, and the three elements of fire, water, and air passed away and were consumed in the smoke that came into being through their combination as is known. As to the fourth element of the wood, namely its component of earth, which goes downward and does not ascend with the smoke, and over which the fire has no dominion, it is this that remains in existence and constitutes the earth. Everything in this world is made up of four basic elements, which is gas, ruach, Energy, fire, water, liquid, and earth. It depends which, what's more predominant. So let's say, for example, you burn something. What happens when you burn something? 
So the moistness is, goes up in the smoke. The smoke is damp. Smoke has dampness to it. That's the moistness. It's because the fire takes apart the four elements. So the fire goes up with the fire, the flames. The, the gas goes up with the smoke. What's left, what's indestructible, is the earth element. The earth is indestructible. That's the ashes. You can't destroy the ashes. If you reduce it to the ashes. So what's left from these four elements? All that's left is the, is the element of earth, of ashes. Okay, so what do we see? Now the whole of the essence of the wood with its tangible substantiality, which does not result from the fire, water and air within it, its matter and its form in terms of the length, width, and density, which were visible to the eye before it was burned, derived basically from the element of earth within it except that the fire, water, and air were also compounded in it. For earth is the most material of them all, and of all the elements having dimensions of length, width, and density, which is not the case with fire and air, and even water that does contain these dimensions appears only sparingly in the wood. Thus, to all the dimensions in wood of length, width, and density, all is of the earth, and all returns to the earth. That is, to the ashes that remain after the fire, water, and air have been separated from it. Thus, the ash that remains is what was formerly the essence of the wood. From all the four elements, which was the predominant element, the element of earth. That's the bulk. You look at the wood. The wood, basically, the bulk of the wood is not the fire in it. It's not the gas in it. It's not the liquid, the moistness. Of course, there's some moistness in wood. That's not the bulk, the width, the length, the bulk, the substance. It's not the fire, the energy in it. It's not the, uh, the, the gas. What is the bulk? It's the earth. And that's what remains. So what Avram is saying, compare, could you compare the earth? Could you compare the ashes to the piece of wood? When you look at the ashes, do you see the wood? Are the ashes a reflection of the wood? Could you compare the ashes to the wood? It's like, what happened to this huge tree reduced to a thing of ashes? A little thing of ashes. What, what, I look at the ashes, I don't see anything. I can't dig into the ashes and find, I can't see anything, I can't, I don't see. It doesn't point to anything, it doesn't reflect anything. Yet this is the essence of the tree. And yet, it doesn't illustrate the tree, it doesn't reflect on the tree, it's not ever an expression of the tree. So this is what Avraham Avinu is telling us. He says, my chesed, my love and my kindness, even though it comes from the world of emanation, but the correct analogy is, it's like dust and ashes. The connection between my kindness and the kindness of my soul, the divine kindness of my soul, which is egoism, a chariot to the divine attribute of kindness, is like the comparison between ashes and its source, the tree, the piece of wood. But I don't see any, con- it's almost like I don't see any connection. 
if you didn't tell me that these ashes were once a tree, I don't see it, I, I can't see it, I don't know how, how did he get from the tree to here? That's the distance between my kindness, a human kindness, even someone as saintly as Avram, even someone as egoless as Avram, who's completely transparent and a reflection of godliness. That's the comparison Avram says between my kindness. And true kindness, true, the true divine attribute in the world of emanation, the true divine attribute of chesed. It's like the connection between ashes and its source, which is the peaceful word. But you can't even see any connection. That's why the Kabbalists were so worried. The reason why the danger of learning Kabbalah, why Kabbalah was forbidden, because the danger when you talk about Hashem and you talk about Hashem in anthropomorphic terms, the ten spherot, God's love, God's kindness, God's compassion, God's wisdom. God, you know, you can start imagining in your mind and start picturing and start making pictures and drawing God and reducing Him to a personality, to a character, to a person. It, it's so dangerous. Avram is telling us, you know, we talk about God's will. It's like, almost like a joke. Well, God's will? I mean, we don't have any other language, so we're trying to use the best analogy that we have. So we talk about human will. So from our human will, we can, we can talk somehow about God's will. But for a moment, you shouldn't think that our will and our pleasure and our brilliance and our wisdom and our understanding and our knowledge and our love and our kindness and our compassion compares in any way, shape, or form to the divine will and pleasure and understanding and brilliance and, and love and compassion. It's like the comparison between the ashes and the wood. There's no comparison. It's not even in the same ballpark. It's not even the same league. It's no, there's no connection. I look at this, I don't see the other. It's, like, it's so beyond. And yet it's the same thing. The ashes are nothing other than the wood. Where did the ashes come from? So of course my kindness comes from the emanation of Hashem, Hashem's kindness. It's godly. It's an expression of the infinite that a human being could be so saintly and giving. And, but don't for a moment start anthropomorphizing God and then painting Him in a picture and creating God in an image and defining God and limiting God and making pictures of God in your mind. You have to be so careful. You have to realize the distance between us and God. Like a blind person trying to describe, someone born blind trying to describe colors. I mean, there's no, there's no, so with all the ten faculties that we have in our soul, and it all comes from Hashem. We are a godly soul, it comes from Hashem. Every ability and faculty that we have in our godly soul is a manifestation of the ten svirot. But don't for a moment think that you already see God, and, and comprehend God, and understand God. You have to realize that we are the ashes. Yes, everything we have, our very substance comes from Hashem, but we are the ashes in comparison to the tree. It doesn't even reflect, doesn't in, in no way, shape, or form does it even begin to show, reflect its source. Because Hashem is so infinite and His divine attributes are infinite. That's why we have to be so careful. People get lost. People study the Kabbalah and it becomes very dangerous and counterproductive. 
start talking about God and you start forget the forgetting, you're talking about the infinite, you're talking about something that's so beyond our comprehension. Even Avram Avinu said he couldn't understand because he's just dust and ashes in comparison to Hashem. Can I ask you, uh, how can we even approach God? I mean, we do the Amida and all of that. He's so distant from us. How, you know, how can we even approach him? Well, that's what we learned in the other part of Tanya. He, he, not because of God is so infinite. In chapter 33, God is not only God is so infinite, that's why he's so close to us. <laughs> Go back to LessonsInTanya.com, chapter 33, part 1. Because God is so transcendent, that's a reason on the contrary why God is so close to us. God is not limited, and therefore God is right here. You don't have to go looking for God. You don't have to go to outer space to find God. On the contrary, because God is so transcendent, God is immediate, is instant, is right here. It's, 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 it's real. Because God is so transcendent, that's why we don't see Him. Not because God is absent, that's why we don't see Him. On the contrary, God is so here that we just, it just eludes us, it just escapes us. He's so here, it's so real. Everything, there's no, there's no space empty of God. That's why we don't see it. You don't see the forest from the trees. Just one more thing, you know, like, um, I mean, you talk about Avram as being so saintly and so uh, otherworldly, and yet he could fight the, uh, the five kings. You know, what a remarkable... Uh, Yes, that was part of his kindness, his sacrifice. He, he threw himself into the battle. Only, he only had 318 men. Some say, really, it was just him and his servant who had a numerical value of 318, Eliezer, and against these five kings. But he, it, the fight was also miraculous. He used those magical sand, turned into spears, advanced weaponry, <laughs> the first, uh, the first uh, shield, the first uh, dome, dome of the, dome of the iron. iron Dome. <laughs> the Jewish, those Jews, they come up with <laughs> all these things to foil our enemies. You know, missiles, sand, silicon turning into missiles. So, of course, it was, all, it was all miraculous. But the fact that he was ready to sacrifice himself and threw himself into it, that was a reflection of Avram, Avram's kindness. So this is the point that he's trying to make. You have to remember, you have to approach Hashem with a tremendous sense of trepidation. You have to approach Hashem with a sense of awe. Don't think you have Hashem in your bag and you, 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 know, you grasp. Uh, you, and you have to realize you're dealing here with something sacred, transcendent, infinite, so much beyond us. And if we're in awe of Avram's kindness, multiply infinite times Hashem's kindness. You're in awe of, Hashem, of Avram's love. Multiply that infinite times. Imagine Hashem's love. <laughs> Can't even compare. Can't even compare. So yes, where does Avram's love and kindness come from? He's just a chariot. He's just transparent. He's just a reflection of Hashem. But it's like the ashes that come from the wood. So Avram's kindness is like the ashes coming from the wood. What's, what's this puny ashes in comparison when the wood looked like wood, smelled like wood, had substance of wood, and now it's reduced to nothing. He's using analogy of wood. Unfortunately, tragically, today's become very popular to uh, cremation. has become very popular, which is against Jewish law. It's, it's against Hashem. It's against our faith. It completely makes a mockery of life. It reduces life to meaningless. But you take a person and then you reduce them to a uh, 
a little can of a, a little thing of ashes. So what's the ashes in comparison to the person? Well, what do I, I look at the ashes, what do I see? Hey, Uncle Freddy? <laughs> what, what do you see? <laughs> what, what do you see? What, what's, there's no comparison. So, Avram is saying, He's saying, not in great humility, he's saying as a fact, what are you making a big deal? You're making a big deal of my kindness. My whole kindness is nothing. It's like dust and ashes in comparison to real kindness. I don't know what real kindness is, real love is. It's Hashem's love. My kindness is, and that's a humbling realization. It doesn't get to your head. That's so why you remain humble. You could, you could be so saintly and godly, and yet you remain completely humble. So what's the relationship to the Ahava Rabba? I mean, is, is that like ashes compared to... Yeah, even the Rabba, even though Avram had the great love and the greatest love possible. And yet, his love was like ashes in comparison to the divine love. So when you realize how much, you know, we're so moved when we see love, especially Avarabha, great love, saintly love, holy love, it warms us, it inspires us, it moves us, it's very touched. And yet when you realize that Hashem's love is infinite times greater, unimaginable, you can't even compare it. It's not, it's not even that. Okay, it's a little reflection. This is a drop of water and this tells me there's a whole barrel behind it. Okay, so this is a drop, and that's huge, and this is a little. But it's the same thing. It's water. This is a little light, but it tells me that it's coming from a distance, from a great, powerful light that could even reach so far. So it's a little light, but it, it's a reflection of the light. Abraham's saying, no, it's not a reflection. There's no comparison. How could you compare? Like, it's like comparing the dust and ashes to its source, which is when the dust and ashes were earth and a piece of wood. How can you compare? There's no comparison. There's no connection. You look at this, if I wouldn't know that this was once a tree or once a piece of wood, I would never in a million years even, I couldn't figure it out. How do, how do I, what's the connection? I, this is a piece of tree and this is, this is a piece of wood and this is nothing. A little ashes. That's the distance. Not even a reflection. It's not even like a drop. Okay, 1%. God is 100%. We like 1% or 0.1%. It's not even. It's qualitatively you can't even compare. It's, it's, not, it's no connection. Just like quali- qualitatively you can't compare the ashes to, it, to, to, to the wood, even though the ashes are nothing other than the wood. The wood reduced to the ashes. But nevertheless, there's no comparison. So qualitatively wise, there's no reflection, there's no connection. Of course it's connected because the ashes come from the wood. Avram's love was just a reflection. It was a godly love. But there's no comparison. Qualitative law, you can't even compare. So if we're moved by that love, we should just imagine, try to imagine Hashem's love for us. Hashem's infinite love. There's a story about Dov Ber, the Magad of Mizrich, who was extremely poor. A pauper. So impoverished, it was, it was breathtaking. And one time, his children running around in tatters, hardly any beds to sleep on. Three days, they haven't eaten, not a penny in the house. And he's busy learning and praying, and his wife can't take it anymore. So listen, <laughs> you got to feed your kids. I mean, 
and he shed a tear and he put his hand in his talazekel and he took out a coin. Told his wife, go, go, go buy food. And says because of that he was punished. What was his punishment? That he had to reveal himself. He became the famous Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magad Mizrich, the leader of the Hasidic movement after the Valshamit. His friend was a colleague who was a hidden, remained a hidden Sadiq for the rest of his life, and he, to him it was considered a punishment that he was forced to reveal himself. And the response he got from heaven was, he says, you think you love your children. Don't you think Hashem loves your children? It's Hashem's children. He loves them not a million times, a billion times, a zillion times, infinitely times more than you love them. So you're worried about them. You don't think Hashem... You think everything the Jewish people went through for 3,800 years. Could you imagine Hashem's love for the Jewish people? His chosen people. You think when Jews are suffering, who's suffering? Hashem suffers more than we can imagine. Imagine Hashem's love for every single Jew. So you, you care more about them than Hashem does. There's a master plan. There's a grand plan that we can't even begin to fathom. So the Magid, he says, the Magid was told from heaven, you should have had a little faith in Hashem. You know, you know that Hashem is... So from Avram's love, it gives you a little glimpse. From the Rebbe's love, it gives you a little tiny glimpse of what Hashem's love is. It's beyond anything we can conceive, imagine, conceptualize. It's, so, it's like from dust and ashes. It's not even a reflection. It's not even a launching pad, a stepping stone to help me understand Hashem. It's so beyond. Even though this is love and that's love. And where does this love come from? From Hashem's love. Where does the saintly love of Avram Bino come from? From Hashem's love. But it's not love-love comparison, but this is great and this is small. This is infinite. This is finite. Qualitatively, why is there no connection? It's like the connection between the dust and ashes, the leftovers. When you burn a piece of wood, you left over with a substance, which is the dust and ashes. Reduced this dust. This is the wood, and now it's dust and ashes. What's the connection? I don't see any connection. So too, you can't see any connection. between our love, even the greatest love, Avarabu, the saintliest love, Avramavinu's love, whose eagle is a chariot for Hashem, in comparison to the love of the world of emanation, Hashem's love. So it's a very powerful, powerful analogy. Now, just as there is neither a quantitative nor a qualitative resemblance, proportion between, on the one hand, the ashes, and on the other hand, the essence of the tree, which before being burned, had sizable dimensions of length, width, and density, even though it, the wood, is its very essence and substance, and from it, the wood, did it, the ash, come into being. Precisely so, metaphorically speaking, did our father Abraham, peace be to him, speak of his distinctive attribute, the attribute of kindness and love, which radiated within him and was vested in his body. For though, for though it was this very attribute of love and supreme chesed of Hatzilut that radiated in his soul, which was a chariot to the will of heaven, nevertheless, as it descended downward to vest itself in the body by means of the, evolu- by means of the evolution of the worlds from one level to another, by means of many, con- by means of many contractions, there was no semblance or proportion between the essence of the light of the love that radiated within him and the essence of the light of the love and supreme chesed of Atzilut, 
except of the sort of proportion and semblance that exists, metaphorically speaking, between the essence of the element of earth, which became ashes, and its essence and quality in its original state as a tree, pleasant to the sight and good for food. Indeed, the incomparability of Abraham's chesed and the chesed of Atzilut exceeds the incomparability of the ash and the tree by thousands of degrees of separation. Right. <laughs> so it's much more than that. We can understand and relate to the connection between the ashes and the wood. And we realize that there's no connection. You can't even see any connection. It's not a reflection. So multiply that thousands of times. Multiply that infinite times. The distance between Avram's love and Hashem's love. But he's using a human parable. We know the Torah speaks the language of man. We can only speak in a way that we can understand, we can relate to. So he's using the closest we can get to help us understand this concept that although Avram's love comes from the divine love, and nevertheless, there's absolutely no comparison. It's not a reflection of the divine love, which is infinitely times greater. The closest analogy that we can use is he's using the analogy of dust and ashes. Just like the connection between dust and ashes and its source, which is the piece of wood, when these dust and ashes, which was the element of earth, was in the form of a shape, in the form of a piece of wood, with its density and its form and its shape and its length and its width, and now this huge piece of wood is reduced to nothing, to, to, to a little few, a few ashes. So that's the closest analogy to help us understand that even though Avram's love is godly, it's a reflection of godliness, I mean it comes from godliness, and nevertheless there's absolutely no comparison not only is not that Avram, Hashem's love is greater, is infinitely times greater, there's no comparison. The love is not even a reflection of the love of the divine love. So it's the closest analogy we have to help us understand, but at the same time we also have to understand that the distance between Avram's love and Hashem's love is much greater than the distance between dust and ashes and piece of wood. It's infinitely times greater. But it's the closest analogy that we can get to help us understand this idea that even though the dust and ashes are nothing other than the piece of wood, it's the same substance, and yet there's no comparison between the wood and the dust and ashes. So too, even though the godly soul comes, is godly, and our substance is godly, and Avram's attribute of kindness came from godliness, because he was a complete egoist and he was a chariot to Hashem, nevertheless, the, the, the manifestation of Avram's love is nothing is not a reflection, is nothing in comparison to the divine love, which is truly infinite. So it's, this, this helps disabuse us of any picturing of God, imagining of God, deluding ourselves that we know God and we're humanizing God, we're trying to create God in our own image and which is the danger of Kabbalah. People who study Kabbalah are not ready to study Kabbalah. They did not have the proper background. Um, could violate this principles. One of the 13 principles. You're not allowed to, you know, use human terms to, to, to describe God. You have to always remember that you can't anthropomorphize God. You can't put God into pictures into human definitions into concepts God essentially is beyond our concept beyond our 
anything that we can conceive of and anything that we can experience because this is my personal experience and yet Avram is saying my most profound experience and anything I can conceive of and anything I can comprehend and anything I can describe the comparison to God is it's like, it's like there's no comparison so you have to approach Hashem with a tremendous sense of humility, a tremendous sense of sacredness, a tremendous sense of holiness. That Hashem is transcendent, so beyond anything we can imagine, anything we can describe. You know, today we know that the universe is so infinite and so vast. And, you know, just our understanding the last 200, 100 years, 200 years, we see how infinitely complex the universe is. You take a look at the galaxies and the stars. It's so overwhelming. It's so beyond anything we imagine. How infinitely complex the atom is. How infinitely complex the human brain is, the human body. It's so beyond the scope. It's so beyond anything we can imagine. So it leaves you with a sense of awe, a sense of... It humbles you. You realize how, how small and how tiny and how insignificant we are inherently. If we're disconnected from Hashem, we're absolutely nothing, truly nothing. So Hashem is so beyond our scope and so beyond our comprehension and so beyond our whole frame of reference. Even if I think that from my flesh I know God and I can know God from my own personal experience and from my own intimate self and my, ten, my own ten faculties and from my own kindness, I can have some idea of God's kindness Avram is disabusing us of that. He says, relax. Remember at all times, Hashem is so much greater. Anything you can possibly experience, anything you can possibly imagine, it's not even a reflection. It's not even a drop in the ocean. It's not even, it's like dust and ashes in comparison to its source. And multiply that infinite times. Even that analogy doesn't do justice to the distance between us and Hashem. This gives you a healthy dose of respect, a healthy dose of sense of awe, how we have to approach Him. And yet, Hashem enabled us and allowed us to daven to Him, to speak to Him. Hashem enabled us and allowed us to do His will. Hashem enabled us and allowed us to study His Torah, His mind, His wisdom, to do His mitzvah. Hashem allowed us to emulate Him and to be kind and loving and we are inherently insignificant and puny and yet Hashem enabled us to connect with Him, with His essence, through our actions, thoughts, speech and actions, the code of Jewish law, the Jewish way of life, every mitzvah is an opportunity to connect with Hashem. What a privilege you don't look at it as a burden. As, you don't do it out of guilt. You do it out of... What an awesome privilege Hashem enabled us to connect with Him when inherently we have no way of connecting with Him. Look how distant we are. Even the greatest saint. You can meditate for a thousand years. You can become religious and you can meditate. What's He telling us here? The distance between us and Hashem is like all you can reach. You're like a, a little ash. You think you're getting closer to that piece of wood? What, what, what connection is there between this ash and this wood? No connection. The distance between us and Hashem 
Not only Hashem's infinite self, Hashem's manifestation, Hashem's divine spherot, Hashem's emanation, Hashem's love and kindness is so infinite and beyond us. Beyond anything we can imagine or describe. So how do you approach Hashem? Answers you don't. Hashem approaches us. And He gave us these opportunities, 613 opportunities to connect with Hashem. We do it with joy. We do it with joie de vivre. We do it with passion. We do it with excitement. Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. We make a blessing. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me the opportunity. When you pay income taxes, you don't make a blessing. When you do a mitzvah, you make a blessing. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me this opportunity to do this mitzvah, to do this opportunity to connect with you, to connect with the infinite, to connect with the essence. This is, religion doesn't give that to you. Music doesn't give that to you. Art doesn't give that to you. Meditation doesn't give that to you. You can meditate 24-7 for a thousand years. It won't do it to you. The only, thing that the only thing that can connect us with Hashem is by physically doing the mitzvah, studying the Torah, giving tzedakah, davening to Hashem, praying to Hashem. This is what connects us. What a privilege. What a... And this is what made Avram the first Jew. Because you recognize this is so beyond religion, this is so beyond mysticism, this is so beyond. Because Avram recognized the limitation. Avram says, Avram is the ultimate epitome of kindness, of love, a love that's so saintly. And yet Avram recognized all it is is like dust and ashes in comparison to Hashem's love and kindness. So, so what? So if I don't have a connection to God, if I'm not following the code of Jewish law, if I'm not doing the Torah and mitzvah, my religion is worthless. And my love is worthless. And my mysticism is worthless. Meaningless. And nothing. Like dust and ashes. My connection to Hashem is when I live like a Jew. That's my connection to Hashem. And my only connection to Hashem. Nevertheless, the Torah speaks in human physiology by way of allegory and metaphor. Hence, its use of the analogy of the tree despite its inherent disproportion. Surely then, the attributes and soul powers of an ordinary Jew in this world bear absolutely no comparable re relation to the spirit from which they derive. Nonetheless, since his soul powers do after all derive from the spirit and are illuminated by them, he can attain some degree of understanding of godliness from that dimension of the soul that animates his body. And this is the meaning of the verse, from my flesh shall I behold God. But nevertheless, since this is the closest we can get, Hashem wanted us to have some understanding, some appreciation, some language that we can relate to Hashem, so Hashem gave us a soul that's made up of ten faculties. So that's our own personal experience, which is the most powerful way to learn, to understand the world is my own personal experience. So from our own personal experiencing, experiencing the ten faculties within our godly soul, it gives us some glimpse, some glimmer, something we can relate and talk about God's wisdom and God's love and God's compassion. So Hashem enabled us and wanted us to be able to 
relate to, to Hashem in some way. Knowing that there's no real comparison. But at the same time, he wanted us to turn us into godly beings. He wanted human beings with all their finite limitations to tune in with godliness. Godliness should resonate with us, that we should, this should be our reality. That our minds and hearts should be tuned in with godliness. It shouldn't be just a matter of faith. Faith, we believe. We have faith in God. God is infinite, and we believe. And end of story. No, that's not enough. Hashem wanted us to engage, to be fully engaged. He wanted our minds and our hearts to be fully engaged with godliness. Ultimately, that's the reason that God emanated the Ten Svirot. God could have created the world without the Ten Svirot. God is infinite and unlimited. God's will, God wanted, and He could have created the whole world just, just with His will. Why did God have to emanate the Ten Svirot? The reason is for us, for our sake, because God wanted us to be able to talk about God, to be able to talk about God, to relate to God, to connect with God. We can talk about God's names. Each name represents a different attribute of God. So we can... We can so it's not so much in order that to personalize God for us, but on the contrary. To take man and turn him into godly, to something godly. That every aspect of us, of our being, every aspect of our personality and our character should become godly. Our mind should be a reflection of God's mind. Our heart should be a reflection of God's heart. Our love should be a reflection of God's love. So he turned it on, on, he turned it on the head. That on the contrary, we should become godly. We should become something tuned in with godliness. With every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, every aspect of our being and personality and character should be a reflection and tuned in to godliness. Specifically. Not just in general, I have faith and I believe in God. But it should be every detail of our life, every specific aspect of my life should be a reflection of God. God is loving, so I'm loving. And it should be a reflection of God's love, an infinite type of love, more than just a human, natural, instinctive love. My mind should be tuned in with godliness. My heart should be tuned in with godliness. So I become fine-tuned I should be tuned into the channel of godliness. I should turn my dials. I should be tuned in. That my personal emotions and intellectual abilities reflect the divine. And then I can relate, somehow I can relate to godliness in a very specific way, in a very detailed way. And it becomes very concrete for me. It becomes very real to me. Otherwise, it's very infinite and very, it could be very vague and nebulous. And, you know, we all have faith. The thief also has faith. The thief prays to God, he should be successful. <coughs> Obviously, he has faith. He's running to shul to die, <laughs> he should be successful. But if you have faith, how could you steal? So, because faith is very vague, nebulous. You want to have a specific relationship with Hashem, uh, an internalized relationship with Hashem concrete relationship with Hashem, where your mind and heart, your consciousness is tuned in with Hashem. So God wanted not only subconsciously we should have faith in Hashem, which we all do, we're born with that faith, but He wants us to consciously have faith in Hashem. Our conscious faculties, our mind, our heart, our loves, our, our 
the way we think and the way we perceive and should be a reflection of godliness. And that's how we become godly. That's how we internalize and make Hashem a part of our reality. So, so this is the closest we get. From my flesh, I know God from my own personal experience, my own faculties. At least I have the language I can talk about God. Knowing at the same time that there's no real comparison, there's no real connection, there's no real reflection. But nevertheless, at least I can talk about Hashem. And that's what he's, we're, in the next class we're going to learn. He's going to go over the ten spheres. First he's going to go over the ten faculties, which is found in every human soul. In, in great detail he's going to explain what these faculties are. It's very fascinating. You want to know the human personality, you know, human character. This gives you a complete breakdown of the human personality and character and every attribute and every type of personality. And this is a reflection of these ten faculties. Then he's going to explain the ten faculties in the godly soul, which is permeated with godliness, which feels connected to godliness which resonates with godliness. And he, then he doesn't, even, he doesn't even conclude. He just describes the parable. He describes our own personal experience. And he says, and from there you'll be able to understand the ten spherot. You'll get some idea, some sense of what the ten spherot are, the ten divine emanations. We talk about God's love, God's wisdom, what it, what it means. At least somehow we can be able to relate to it. But that he leaves to your imagination. He doesn't spell it out. The part that he dwells on, he focuses on, is in, on the parable, on us, our own personal experience. Because really that is the whole emphasis of Hasidus, which is really not to humanize gods. We, we can talk about God in human terms, so to speak. But to turn a human being into something godly, to turn a human being of flesh and blood, to fine-tune us, that we should, godliness should resonate within us, we should live a life that's reflective of godliness. Every aspect of our life should be a reflection of godliness. Our emotions, our intellect, our loves, our heart, our mind. And ultimately, that's the reason why God emanated from within himself the tenth spirit. It's all for our sake. We are the center of creation. We are the center of the universe. The whole universe was created for us. Yes, us little tiny, puny, insignificant us. We are the whole purpose of creation. Not only of creation, we're the whole purpose of the world of emanation. It was all for our sake. That we should be able to connect with Hashem, to fine-tune. Godliness should resonate with every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, every aspect of our personality and character, every moment of our lives, every moment of our day. Everything should be fine-tuned and connected. In order to be able to do that, God created, emanated from within Himself the ten spherot. And He gave us a soul which comes from these ten spherot. Our godly soul, the substance of our soul, are from these ten spherot. That's why godliness resonates within each and every one of us. And that enables us to create some intimacy. 
some closeness to Hashem. If it's just faith, that could be very, very nebulous and vague and fuzzy. But when the faith is internalized to every aspect of our personality, that creates a real intimacy. When you're intimate, it has to fully engage you, 100%. Every part of you has to be engaged. Not only your subconscious, your conscious, your subconscious, your mind, your heart, your physical, every part of you is completely and fully concentrated and engaged. So every faculty, every part of our soul, every part of our personality and character has to be fully engaged in Hashem. Our mind has to be focused on Hashem. Our heart has to be focused on Hashem. And this can only be when we have the breakdown and the details of the ten faculties of the soul, which enable us to connect with all ten spherot, the ten divine spherot. And that's why the whole Kabbalah is based on the ten spherot. It's all for us, to enabling us to be able to connect with Hashem in a more intimate way, in a more personal way, to get even closer to Hashem. I know this is, uh, this is heavy-duty stuff, Kabbalah, but the Alter Rebbe is going to try, in the next, next week we're going to learn, he's going to try to demystify it by explaining the ten faculties, how it is within the human beings. That's why... He's giving us this introduction. Before we demystify this ten svirot, you have to realize how infinite Hashem is, and we have to remember that Hashem is godly and infinite, and all the demystification. You have to realize the distance between us and Hashem. But the demystification helps us become godly. And that's the whole purpose of the Ten Spirit. That's when the Ten Spirit are elevated. They fulfill their purpose. When as a result of the Ten Spirit, when we are able to relate to Hashem with every aspect of our personality and character. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.